Is there a more important question than knowing why you're here? So the follow-up to that question is, why are you here? Why, why are you here? Why, what is the purpose of your life? As we dive into the Bible today, uh, we're going to look at what Jesus talks about when he talks about what the purpose of your life is in uh, Matthew chapter 21. But in order to do that, we're going to need to dive back to the Old Testament a bit and, and around other bits of the New Testament. So we're going to put the house lights up here at Mornington, uh, Corin. And what that means is if you've got a Bible, it means you can pull out your Bible, really encourage you to pull out your Bible. Uh, and uh, as part of that, uh, if you've got the, the notes, uh, you'll find them in, on the YouVersion Bible app. If you go to events, then we've got the sermon notes there where you'll find a lot of the, the Bible references there as well. So I'm hoping that the, with the, the house lights up and uh, with the sermon notes, we can, we're going to need to do a bit of an overview or a dive into the Bible. So let's uh, start with these two stories. And both of them have layers of meaning. At a, at a surface level, Matthew, we're talking Matthew 21 and we're starting with the parable of the two sons, then we'll look at the parable of the tenants. So that's verse 28 we're starting with. Uh, at the surface level, they're talking about Israel and Israel's leaders, but they're also talking about what does it mean to find the story that God has for you and why was it necessary for Jesus to come and do what he did, but also what does it mean for you to find what Jesus has for you and to do what he has for you? Jesus starts by saying, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. So we need to start here. We are all called to go and work in the vineyard. All of us. Uh, have a job to do. Because many of us have been doing the wrong job and the way that our culture sets it up, we kind of, there's a, a kind of a cultural assumption is that you're created for holidays. You're created, and, and then the ultimate thing is to, the ultimate holiday is retirement, and you're created to have a, be able to do, finally do what you want to do. Well, one of the important things to understand is that's not a Christian assumption. The Christian assumption is embedded right at the heart of the Bible. And it starts with uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That there is an assumption about what it means to be human. And that is that you've got a job to do, that you are created to do work. Now, also we're created to rest and there's, the Sabbath is part of that, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about what does it mean to find the work that God has for you to do. Also there in Genesis is another foundational scripture that's really important to understand because I, I, so much of the Bible comes from these two verses. 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Now remember, both these verses are before sin enters the world. So this is how we're created to be. Genesis 1, 26, 27 says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You need to hear this. You are created in the image of God. And this goes right to the heart of what your work is. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Does that mean when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, you go, oh, that's what God looks like? No, if you're anything like me, when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, uh, you think, gee, I need help. Um, No. Uh, You are created, and there's a quote there from N.T. Wright, that said, you are created to be the reflection of God. You're meant to be the reflection or the expression of God in this world. And you're also meant to, built into this word image, reflect the world back to God. You're meant to be like this conduit, God's representative, if you like. That you are your task on this earth is to be God's representative, reflecting God to the world, and then reflecting the world back to God. And that's true of all human beings. Now, what we see, and that's why it's important to get the, the whole biblical view, uh, in Genesis chapter 3 is sin enters the world and people choose, rather than to reflect God, to want to reflect themselves. And so God puts a plan in place. And this is, again, if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, this is a, a critical, in order to understand what Jesus is going to be talking about here, you need to understand this passage. bit of a cough this morning. Genesis chapter 12 is a central turning point because this is where God chooses Israel. And God says to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I'll curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Can you see Israel, rather than now all of humanity stepping into their calling, Israel was meant to be chosen and to bless the whole world as they stepped into their calling, to be the reflection or the expression of God, to be God's little image as, as in, in the greater world. Deuteronomy says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has, Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. So this is the background. So when Jesus tells this parable, he's talking about this. He's saying that a father had two sons and one of them was chosen. He said, go and work in the vineyard. And then... The, the son said, absolutely, I'll definitely go, no worries, but instead decided to do something else. And then uh, he says, the father went to the other son and says the same thing. He answered, 
actually, it's in the text, it's reverse. He says, uh, the first one, he says, I won't go, and then he does go. The second one, he says, I will go, then he doesn't go. And Jesus asks the people, he says, okay, of, of those two sons, which is the one that actually did the father's will? And here he is clearly pointing to the leaders of Israel and saying, you people, you say you're going to do what God wants, but you don't do it. But these people who aren't my chosen people, who weren't the ones who were set aside, they're the ones who are, who are doing what I want, what God wants. The first son changes his mind. He repents. And the second son says all the right things, but he goes his own way. Right up front, as we talk about what does it mean to step into your story, one of the dangers as Christians is we put a big emphasis on the, the mountaintop moment, the spiritual moment, where the great worship service and an inspirational speaker where you say, yes, I'm going to do what God wants. I'm going to go for it. And what is clear is Jesus isn't looking for people who will just say yes. He's also looking for people who will actually do yes. He's looking for people... The word repent means getting a new way of seeing the world. And what is beautiful about this is you can have spent your life saying no to God, but it's never too late to say yes. This is what grace means. You can have spent your life saying no to God, but it's never too late to say yes. I, I love John 8 that says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've got to come to terms with the fact our faith is backwards. We, in our world, we think we've got to understand things in order to do them. What Jesus clearly is saying here is if you do them, then you'll understand them. You want to know whether, whether what I'm saying is true? Try it out. Start living it. And then you'll discover it is true and that truth will set you free. We have too many people bound up because they're trying to do things in their own strength rather than stepping into what God has for them and trusting God's view. So Jesus now unpacks the implications of what he's saying with another story. And he talks about a, a, another vineyard and in it he's referencing Isaiah. And he's talking about Jerusalem is meant to be this beautiful vineyard producing beautiful wine, but instead it produces injustice, is what Isaiah says. Now Jesus tells the story and he says, when the harvest time approaches... That, so God creates this big vineyard, puts a big uh, fence around it and a watchtower. And part of what the, the verse is making clear is God takes great care with the vineyard. And in this story, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. It's the, his work. And he's got tenants. And the tenants, the first lot of tenants, are meant to be Israel, is very clearly what he's saying. And what is communicated is that 
the, the owner of the vineyard sends these messengers to try and communicate with the tenants. And the, tenant, the tenants uh, say, no, no, we're not going to listen to you. And, and they, uh, they, they kill one, bash up another, stone a third. Then he keep, sends more and more servants. And then in the end, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, they're going to respect my son. And so Jesus here is clearly saying that in the Old Testament, through the, all the servants that came were the prophets of the Old Testament. Speaking to Israel, and then he's saying, I'm the son. I'm, I'm coming. To, and he's saying, and you're going to kill me. Why... Look at the text. Why is it that they want to kill the son? Why is it they want to kill the son? They want to take his inheritance. What's Jesus' inheritance? It's the kingdom of God. This is the same problem... We see this is the Bible, there's a theme right the way through the Bible and also right the way through your life. Same theme. It is this. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given a job to do and all they needed to do was follow God and, and his instructions. People of Israel were given a job to do. They needed to follow God and his instructions. Adam and Eve wanted to take God's place and they wanted to be able to give the instructions. People of Israel wanted to be able to give the instructions. And here, can you see, this is the great temptation for you too. You want to be able to give the instructions, don't you? You want to be in charge. You want God to help you do what you want to do, but fundamentally what Jesus is saying here is Israel's problem wasn't that they wanted God to do what they wanted to do. They, they weren't open to doing what God wanted to do. They wanted to take Jesus' inheritance for themselves. Jesus inherited the kingdom of God. They wanted to be in charge. And this, as we talk about what does it mean to find your purpose, there's an awkward truth at the heart of Christianity that our culture works really hard to stop you hearing. Our, every time you go to school, go to work, turn on the TV, every time you have a conversation with somebody who's more shaped by the world than the Bible, they will be saying, what you need to do is be true to you. What you need to do is express what's in here. And the truth of Christianity is the opposite to that. The truth of Christianity is you need to be willing to give up your feeling world, to give up your internal world, to not see the whole world as an expression of your internal world, but to give up your life for Christ's sake. Jesus says it over and over again, Matthew 10, whoever doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. 
but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There's this countercultural understanding in the Christian Bible that says the more you let Jesus take you over, the more truly yourself you become. He is the path to life. And so what that means is being willing to give up your in-chargeness for his sake, to be willing to give up your ability to make all the decisions for his sake. And as you do, you'll actually find freedom. This is what Jesus is saying. The, the tenants wanted the inheritance of the son. And as a result, there's some pretty significant implications. Jesus says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will happen to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus now unpacks the significance of what he's saying. And this is, it's really, in order to understand the Bible, you need to understand Jesus' words here. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvellous in our eyes. It's a direct quote from Psalm 119. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. This is challenging. What, at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, it is about Israel and it's about the implications for the Christian church, but it's also about you. What Jesus is saying is it's quite possible not to do what God wants you to do. It's not some fait accompli that you will step into the story that God has for you. And let me tell you, if you live your life run by your ego, you are going in exactly the opposite direction to God's story for you. Jesus is making it clear that you do not have to follow him. He's also making it clear that there are some consequences to that. And it's not superficial. I love the beautiful truth that God wants you. He wants relationship with you. But he leaves the choice in your hands. Jesus is finishing this chapter by quoting again Psalm 118, which is what the crowd chanted as he entered Jerusalem. As they say, save now, save now, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, they're quoting Psalm 118 too. This sort of caps off this chapter. And see what he says? The kingdom of God is being taken away from those to whom it was originally entrusted in Genesis chapter 12. And who, who is it given to? Who is it given to? What does it say? Who, who is the kingdom of God given to? 
Yeah, a nation or a people who will bear the fruit. Now, this is really important to get onto too. God doesn't hand all of redemptive history over to you. One of the dangers can be when we talk about finding your purpose is we can be, we easily become self-centred and think it's about me finding my story. Now you see, the kingdom is handed over to a people. Who is the people that will bear its fruit? Who do you think Jesus is meaning? If, it's, if he's taking it away from Israel because they're not bearing the fruit, who is he handing the kingdom to? Yeah, remember what he said to Peter? Here, mate, here's the keys to the kingdom. To the church. But not just the people who turn up to church on a Sunday morning, to those for whom he's actually king, who are actually living in the kingdom. This is the fundamental question of being a follower of Jesus. Your purpose as it was originally in the garden, is to be God's representative to the world and to represent the world to God in prayer. The the story hasn't changed since Genesis chapter 2, chapter 1. And just like... Israel is meant to be a blessing to the world. The church, Jesus sends the church out to make disciples of all nations. We're not to be self-focused. You will find your story in the context of fellowship in the church. Not all about you. If you're trying to do the adventure of life on your own, You are living a sub-biblical life. You are called to community. And let's be honest, that's challenging because people are challenging. The whole New Testament is basically written to people who are struggling to get on with each other and saying this is what it means to get on with each other. It's not easy, but we as a church are wrestling with what does it mean to actually step into and be that kind of community? What does it mean to put yourself in a place of vulnerability and trusting other people? Because necessarily you cannot experience fellowship without expressing, experiencing vulnerability. You just can't. So we're going to talk more about that. Jesus now says something that's pretty challenging. He says, anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. What is the this stone he's talking about? Well, he's just talked about the cornerstone. It's him. It's him and it's his kingdom. And in fact, what he's actually doing here is quoting the Old Testament again. Daniel, chapter 2. There's this incredible vision that Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel unpacks for him. And and as he unpacks him, he talks about the different eras. There's there's going to be this one final era uh, where there'll be 
clay and iron kind of mixed together and there will be the, the meaning of the vision of the rock, he says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, 45. Many of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and gold to pieces. And he says this it, it, that God is setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to other people. It'll crush all those other kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. This is where we get to the pointy end. There are all kinds of kingdoms. There have been all kinds of kingdoms through history. But there's only one kingdom that prevails. And that the central question of finding your purpose is whose kingdom are you working for? You will not find God as a mascot for your kingdom. He's not just a nice little addition, safe addition you can add to your kingdom. There's this fundamental question. Is Jesus Lord? What it means to find your purpose is to say to God, whatever you want. Now, fundamentally, Jesus is calling here the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to repent. Uh, and rather than repent, they try and work out how now to, to kill him. What, what, would, what would Jesus be wanting to say to us this morning? What he'd be wanting to say is, I've got a story for you. You are called. There's an adventure I have uniquely for you. One of my favourite verses uh, in Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do the good works which he planned in advance for you to do. There are works that he planned for you to do, but only as part of the nation who will bear the fruit, only as part of a bigger story. Too many of us want to just have our story and God's story and we just want to miss the church story altogether. Well, you don't have to point out to me the church isn't perfect, but you will only find your story as you open yourself in fellowship to the big story that is happening through God's people and through his church. And fundamentally, it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to be complicated. What does it mean for you to love the people that God brings to you? And what does it mean for you to love God? Sometimes the big stuff we feel like is the big stuff of finding your story is you know, where we should be living or what job we should have, and we talk about that as finding your calling. That stuff's kind of incidental. Like, it matters. It matters. But you can be living anywhere and either choosing to love or not love. You can be in any job and be choosing to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. 
Jesus will have an opinion about where you live and what job you should do. But fundamentally, finding your purpose is discovering that God loves you and that the, the people in your life that are hardest to love are the ones he's calling you to love. And he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to live from a relationship of love with you. And in these two stories, what Jesus makes clear is that there is a responsibility the church has, but it's entirely possible for you to say, no, I'm going to live a self-centred life, thanks very much. And in fact, you live in a world like, I don't think any other world in history, uh, that where almost every message you get when you turn on the TV, when you read a book, when you look at social media, is telling you to be self-focused, telling you to think about yourself and nobody else. And so you will actively have to choose to go against the flow, to put others ahead of yourself and to love Jesus more than you love yourself. This is what it means to find the story that God has for you. We are all called to the vineyard. We all have a job to do. And it's a great adventure. It won't always be simple. And I've also always found that Jesus calls you about two steps beyond what you think you can manage. Have you noticed that? Because if he, if he only called to you to where you thought you could manage, you wouldn't need him. So if you're feeling, if, if, if right now your life is feeling on cruise control and comfortable, I'd really encourage you to be worried. Is there something wrong? Jesus is calling you forward and to trust him to love people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thanks that you call us. You call us forward with you. Thanks that you, you invite us into the vineyard with you. Thank you that you give us our story. Forgive us for the times where we want to you know, go our own way. Forgive us for the times we're tempted to say, yeah, absolutely, and then do the opposite. Help us be open to all that is you have for us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Over to you, Bruce.